Let's go. So welcome to Crypto and Grill. <laughs> My name is Crystal, and I'm really glad to be here today. Uh, it's a real pleasure to be interviewed by, I think, two of the finest men. Uh, one representing uh, Edmund Dantes, Count of Monte Cristo, and the other one <laughs> representing Top Gear, two of my favorites. Nice. <laughs> you know, what better than some literature and some racing? I love that. I love that. Wow, it's a podcast takeover. We 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 thought we were going to run this, but maybe we should just let you do this, Crystal. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna hang up. I'll leave, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave you to it. <laughs> maybe the be- best intro we're ever gonna get. Oh, that that's too kind. That's too kind. Well, I'm supposed to be in marketing. You know? You are <laughs> allegedly very true. Excellent. Well, look, thank you, thank you, Crystal, for that introduction. So uh, I am yeah. Stig of the. Uh, I'm not. You are Stig of the Pump. I am uh, the Count of Monte. I'm the Count of Monte Crypto. <laughs> Welcome back to Crypto and Grill. Um, we have uh, a very vocal guest with us today. Um, but uh, before we let her take over the session and uh, and edge us out completely, I just wanted to spend scary. a bit of time talking to uh, the Stig here. Um, Stig, just for just before we uh, move on to uh, to Crystal, um, you've been on some travels recently. How was uh, how was your blockchain trip to Gay Paris? Bonjour, je t'aime, je t'aime Paris. Uh, it was good. It was good. I was out in France. When was it? Earlier on this month, at the OECD blockchain event, sort of, and basically specifically looking at blockchain and blockchain policy. So it was a really it was a really interesting couple of days. Um, lots of really interesting topics. I think if I was to summarize kind of the three things that I took away from it overall, there's there's clearly a ton being done around the potential future policy for blockchain and the impl- implications of blockchain, which you often go to you often go to crypto or blockchain events and you kind of they're not they're made up of a lot of noise and not real depth to it but this was this was surprisingly depth in the detail and the capabilities that was there which is great uh one of the one of the key things that i took away from it was the end-to-end infrastructure and the detail at which people are looking at that which was really exciting and also uh some really interesting stuff being done by the chamber chamber of digital commerce in the states and their token alliance so they're looking at uh standardization of different uh, aspects of token tokens and tokenomics so some really interesting stuff and i think they released their report earlier on this month that's definitely worth a longer read if people are interested excellent yet yeah, you've uh, you've thrown lots of acronyms and concepts that we haven't covered yet so um you've just scared all of our seven listeners away um good we're back to zero so no that's uh, really interesting <laughs> and it's great to see you Should accomplished. Um, <laughs> great to see you out there uh making a name for yourself and spreading the word of crypto as well um so now more importantly let's get back to uh to today's guest um crystal quack 
we are absolutely delighted to have you on today. What we wanted to cover was um, some information about yourself, uh, your current role in um, a blockchain organization, your advisory roles within some, um, some other crypto companies, and some of your th get some of your thoughts around blockchain, crypto, commercial models, and how you see the entire space um, panning out. And uh, so that's the kind of overview for the session. And just before we start that, we've decided to introduce a new se uh, section in the uh, in the podcast. We've decided to take it upon ourselves to figure out who Satoshi is. So every guest we are having on um, from now on, we are going to interrogate whether they are Satoshi or not. So Crystal Quack. Are you Satoshi Nakamoto? No. <laughs> oh, damn. Oh. Damn it. Okay. Sorry, guys. Okay, so that's so that's me. I'm not Satoshi. Stig, you're not Satoshi. Chris, not, so that's three down. We've got a few more people to go. So everyone else that we interview, we will uh, we'll follow that up. But um, the question is, if you do find Satoshi, what would you actually ask him? Oh, that's send a, me some that Bitcoin. A, no, you don't want to. You don't want to. What? What? I'd I'd love to ask him what new project he went on to because Satoshi went quiet and and, yeah. and incited new projects. So I'd love to know what he moved on to that was more important or more influential. Or she. Or she. They're or they. they. Yeah. Because you know, uh, yeah. If, if they left Bitcoin and they're doing something else, then that must be huge. So. Yeah, what life after Bitcoin? I think definitely would be my question. Yeah. Life after Bitcoin. Well, that would be another podcast in in, yeah. in its entirety. <laughs> I don't think we I don't think we let them leave. I think we just interview them for about a day and a half. <laughs> so. Maybe a private podcast. <laughs> exactly. So um so now uh, so let's get back to to you, Crystal. Over to you. Let's. I mm. would uh, love to hear more about you. Um, not everyone in our audience will know who you are. So if you could really yes. just give us an overview of yourself, your projects, and your background. And I think as we go along, we'll um we'll just drill into how you, some more how questions. you got into crypto. Okay, uh, that's a great question. So, actually, I bought my first uh, Bitcoin in 2010. Uh, but before you congratulate me, I ended up uh, selling quite a fair bit of them when it reached, you know, like about three or four dollars. And I was and I thought I had made a shit ton of money and <laughs> decided to sell it all. <laughs> Big mistake. Um, and uh, there were quite a lot of the um, a lot of it was stored on my computer, did not store it on an external uh, hard disk and didn't back it up properly. And I lost quite a fair bit as well. So uh, when I think of Bitcoin, it's a bittersweet feeling, but <laughs> but on to, you know, on to actually doing, you know, uh, building a business on the blockchain. It really started with Zilliqa. So I, well, well, basically what happened was, um, one of the founders of Zilliqa is a really good friend of mine, and he's been, you know, in fintech, uh, deep tech uh, for quite quite some time, and he's founded some really successful companies across the UK and Singapore. So one day he just said, "Hey, you know, Crystal, would you like to come and um, help me out for this project? Um, it's about, you know, the blockchain. We're going to do a public blockchain, and we're going to do an ICO." So at that time, my first question was, "Actually, what's an ICO?" <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that then that was in uh, that was maybe in uh, June. No, actually May, May last year. Well, May or June last year. So it's been about a year now. And uh, the first time I met the Zilliqa team, we were in a tiny little office in the university. You know, 
bunch of really bright people and I and I joked, you know, tried trying to, you know, kind of lighten the mood in the room. Um, I said, you know, guys, I I'm really flattered and privileged to be here today because, you know, each of you have you know, you have one PhD each, you know. In fact, one of you has two PhDs, right? And I'm I'm actually I graduated with a third lower honors in geography from the National University of Singapore. So I am yes. very unquestionable. You're a geographer. Yes. Oh, yeah. guys, give it a rest, please. Nobody need. So nobody did, wants to know about your Oxbow University. Lakes or your so Longshore Drift. No. Longshore <laughs> Drift. I haven't heard that for a long time. The Longshore Drift. <laughs> Crystal, maybe we should just have a geography-based meetup. Actually, geographers in blockchain. I feel like there's a new group that we can start there. Oh my god, that would be so fun! Geographers in blockchain. Okay, you and I will be the honorary members, and then we find yeah, the, the only members. <laughs> Done. <laughs> Done. I'm in. Come in. Probably the best thing I've done this year, mate. Sorry, th- this podcast is a waste of time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, but yeah, so that, that became that became Zilliqa, and you know we've we've had to work together as a as a team ever since. Um, you know, leading up to the, you know the public sale, the private round, you know, trying to understand how we could best distinguish ourselves. You know, from the the litany of protocols that were propping up. I think, uh, especially last year, and I mean last year was a great run, right? I mean, you've had so many different projects coming up and protocols really g- gaining that sort of widespread uh, acknowledgement that it was going to be the future. Um, so that was one part of it, and you know, we did, we did, you know, we did our race, we did the public round, we we got listed on Warpy, you know, and after that, you know, on a couple of exchanges and Binance, and the rest was history. So it was it was a really really great run. Um, I went on to advise uh, Switchio Network as well. So Switchio um, Network. So can we yeah. um, can we just just spend um, just a very brief moment actually, just to understand a little bit more about what Zilliqa is, because not not many people understand um, that. And so far in the podcast, what we've covered is um, you know what Bitcoin is at its fundamentals, um, what Ethereum is, and what other alternative coins are and utility tokens. How does um, Zilliqa fit into that? What kind of um, problem does it solve uh, in, in in crypto space? Right, right, right. So Zilliqa actually it is the first uh, global public uh, scalable blockchain. Um, so, you know, there was one time Vitalik Buterin said that there was a scalability trilemma. Basically, um, you cannot have all three things at one go, which is scalability, security, and decentralization. Um, I wouldn't say he's completely wrong, but obviously current technology is not able to support that. And even on the, on the Ethereum network, right? I mean, Ethereum right now, they're investigating, you know, what we call a state sharding, which will basically allow for the Ethereum network to be a lot faster than what it is today. So, you know, last year, right, I mean, we did we did speed tests, and this, this is all public information. Bitcoin's blockchain platform uh, protocol, right, can only support one to three transactions per second. Ethereum about seven to 10 transactions per second. And for Zilliqa right now, in un, I mean, under stress, testing environment, we were able to achieve up to 10,000 transactions uh, per second. Um, so it's quite, it's quite, it's quite large and it's quite uh, great for us because, I mean, look, you can, you can achieve a lot of transactions per second and great speed if you control the number of nodes or, you know, ID computers, right, joining the network. But we are actually able to design the Zilliqa blockchain to scale in throughput as more nodes join the network, and- right? And yeah. sorry, sorry, just to interrupt. So why, 
obviously we've we've got quite a specific user base that are listening to this so why specifically is a high transaction speed important on a public blockchain network mm. so i think i think it's a great question right i think the first thing is if we want to have mass adoption right of the virtues of decentralization without compromising on security you know and, and that could be use cases like data for example private personal data right if you want to be able to support that for mass adoption we would need to have the speed in order to for that to take place but speed is one thing but decentralization is a really important thing and that is what actually makes the blockchain so powerful i mean you could encrypt data right you could do triple layer encryption if you want to to make it secure but if you want to decentralize it and make sure that you know Know, no one actually really holds the majority of the keys to the kingdom. That's what the blockchain and the whole decentralization movement is about. I mean, the blockchain is an enabler of that, but there are a lot of things that has to happen before you know a lot of this can take place. I think so. Yeah, decentralization, maximum security, maximum speed as much as possible. I mean, look, we're not going to say that we're going to be like the fastest blockchain platform out there. I think that would be overstating it, right? But what we try to do is to be the most decentralized yet without. Mm -hmm. On security, that's Zilliqa. okay. Is 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 so? I know one of the key things that Zilliqa is trying to solve at the moment is that is that ability to scale at speed. Yeah. One of the other big challenges in the space is interoperability as well. Is that something that yeah. the project? Uh, so I'm sorry, I know you're not entirely linked to it, but it's really yeah. useful actually having the opportunity to ask some of these questions. So is interoperability something that the network's looking at as well? Yes, uh, definitely. I mean, we have a developer relations team, right? And we're looking at, you know, cross-chain solutions. I mean, for example, we were looking at how we could even work with someone like, you know, Trinity Network, for example, right, to develop, you know, side chains and, you know, how we could actually work with other chains as well, because this is all about an open source community, right? Mm -hmm. So we wouldn't have all the answers. And I think the only way for the ecosystem to grow is for everybody to start working together instead of trying to to develop one new chain after the other, if you know what I mean. So yeah. I think interoperable yeah. solutions are the way forward, for sure, for growth of the space. Excellent. Thank you very much. And um, so Zilliqa, for you then, that's not, is that a permanent role or is that an advisory role that you support them um, in, in their business activities, but you actually have uh, another position? Yeah, right. So um, I, I was um, the CMO of Zilliqa uh, right up to we concluded the uh, fundraise and I had to step down and assume an advisory position as I've, you know, I have another company to run <laughs> that <laughs> which I actually started and co-founded um, and is actually building a uh, distributed app on the Zilliqa blockchain. So I guess it's all a Keep it all in the family, as I like to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not very, not very decentralized in the way I'm doing things, but uh, <laughs> yeah, but but uh, yeah. So I mean, Boat is uh, my other baby, which I co-founded uh, actually last year, about the same time I assumed that role with uh, Zilliqa, and um, I'll I'll cover I'll cover a bit more about that later. But we're basically a a Netflix for the emerging markets, but built on the blockchain. And we're trying to basically uh, become the world's first open entertainment economy. And we're already present in countries like Kenya, Bangladesh, you know, Indonesia, Malaysia. We have over 3 million users. And we've actually, funny enough, we just announced today the development of uh, the Bolt wallet, which would allow for users to actually use their Bolt tokens, which will be bundled with data plans. Um, mm -hmm. 
and they'll be able to earn boat tokens as well, you know, when they complete certain tasks within the boat ecosystem, like subtitling of content or, you know, submitting user-generated content. And this would allow us to kind of really get adoption and utility of the boat token uh, much quicker than mm -hmm. use cases. So that's, I mean, the boat part. I advise for a couple of uh, different blockchain uh, companies as well. So one of them is uh, Switchio Network. So Switchio is the first uh, multi-blockchain decentralized exchange. Um, and it's actually primarily built on NEO right now, NEO, the NEO blockchain right now, which is, I mean, people kind of liken it to the Chinese version of Ethereum. Um, it's a very centralized blockchain, though, having said that. I think there are only about 20 nodes running <laughs> on NEO at the moment. So... It has relatively high throughput compared to Ethereum. I think it's about 1,500 transactions per second. Um, but of course, you know, um, there, I mean, it doesn't support as many D apps as Ethereum does. So, Switcher basically allows you to directly trade from your new based smart contract uh, within the decentralized exchange. So, the exchange doesn't store your user funds. So, it's really great for security and it really is decentralized in that fashion. And, you know, just, just, um, and just, yeah, just on that point, actually, that's something that we've spoken about previously. Um, you know, we try to really educate people and just talk to people about how risky crypto can be as a new mm. person into the space. Um, and even if you manage to navigate all of the different, um, uh, the different wallets, and the different steps to buying um, coins and um, you know, getting onto an exchange and buying some altcoins, you still then run the risk of um, that exchange being hacked. And we had an interview um, who was saying, you know, look, yeah, this, it's effectively a honeypot risk because the exchange holds the private keys and whoever holds the private keys holds your coins. Um, so if, if Binance gets gets hacked or any one of the other exchanges gets hacked and you've got your uh, keys on there, then, uh, then that's it, they're gone. And so... so you're saying it sounds like you're saying that Switchio is is um, decentralized in the way that you it doesn't store your keys. You always hold your keys, and you trade um, using yeah. that platform directly from your wallet. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Wow, you you know everything. Fantastic. So the question I ha so the question around Switchio I have because I'm uh, sorry I, I'll set the context for my question and then I'll ask it. Uh, the reason why decentralized exchanges have been slow to take off is because they ultimately they have to trade direct onto the blockchain. So for a Bitcoin decentralized exchange, it actually has to trade, you trade across the Bitcoin blockchain. Now, the challenges with that is this pace of the network. So is Switchio trading directly onto the blockchain and because it's the neo network it can transact slightly quicker or it has it got a different solution because i know different people are looking at different solutions for decentralized exchanges right 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 so i mean they started with uh neo first because you know they won the city of zion um uh, competition way back before switcho became switcho um but right now they're actually working on the erc20 integration which will allow for the you know well, the, the trading of ERC20 tokens, Ethereum-based tokens, uh, directly on Switcher itself, and it's going to be available in the next uh, Callisto update. So I believe that's actually happening really soon. I mean, it could be at the end of October, early November. You know, that's the plan anyway, uh, from, what I've, from what I understand. So I think that'd be really exciting because that would make it the first multi-blockchain decentralized exchange. So it wouldn't just be a new-based one anymore because, you know, the volume is still on Ethereum. For sure. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. So, um, 
I was wondering if we could talk a bit more about Bolt as well, because that sounds like that's the uh, so Bolt Global. That's your primary role, where you're is it Chief Commercial Officer? You said. Yes, uh, I'm the co-founder and the Chief Commercial Officer. Yeah. So, so, uh, so Bolt's the one that's uh, going to keep you busy, and and Zillica and Switcher are just for fun. Uh, what a nice, uh, <laughs> what a nice collection of projects you've got. Um, but um, yeah, so so I wanted to understand more about Bolt, and so you you articulated it earlier as um, a, a Netflix type. Uh, ecosystem, uh, entertainment ecosystem. Um, can you talk more about that and how uh, how it fits into the crypto space? Because you know, there's plenty of, um, of online video uh, companies out there. Why does Bolt bridge a gap between uh, being an online video company and uh, something that's applicable in the crypto space or, or is deploying a blockchain? Yeah, so it's it's a really great question with actually a really simple answer. So we, I mean, we've um, we focus on the emerging markets because we have noticed quite a fair bit of people that are not just unbanked but underbanked. I mean, you're talking about guys who earn, you know, let's say less than a thousand or even up less than five hundred bucks a month, and they spend the bulk of their money on their either their family, you know, everyday utilities, and maybe some entertainment for themselves, right? Or even further closer to home. You have a lot of migrant populations in you know countries where they work at and they don't even have a bank account or a credit card because it's not mm-hmm. easy to get one when they're blue collar workers but you know it's not and it's quite a significant number you're talking about four billion people around the world who have this you know issue at the moment so we were looking at it and thinking about it and the original idea for the business so the funny thing was last year when i started the business together with my other co-founder and ceo we wanted to do it the traditional way so we would go to the telcos we will integrate their fiat payment gateway into our ecosystem we will get the live tv channels and you know broadcaster content you know under five minute content data friendly people can pay you know 10 cents 20 cents microtransaction based for content and it was working quite well and then we had a problem the problem was that the telcos would take a really long time to pay us and it wasn't really even their fault the problem was you know when you're trying to collect you know, the fiat payments and the top-ups when people go to convenience stores, for example, to top up their mobile data balance, it takes a long time for the telcos to collect that money. And when they collect it, finally, they process it and the money then reaches us and then we can start paying the content creators. So that whole process end-to-end, you know, the user will pay instantly the $1, for example, but the money reaches the content creator six months later. So it's not very efficient if you think yeah so what we wanted to do then was say okay is there a way we could do this a bit more elegantly and also kind of help our cash flow and making sure that you know when a user pays instantly the content creator does get the money instantly as well right in a sense right and then we realized the way for us to do it was actually through the blockchain so how what we're, what we're doing then is this. So we have these telco partnerships, you know, across emo- many emerging markets, you know, and you're talking about, you know, 20 million people in Malaysia, 32 million people in Kenya, you know, through Safaricom. I mean, end to end, 10 million people in Indonesia, end to end, you're talking about 60 million people in the markets that we currently already have, right? Uh-huh. We want to be able to bundle these tokens with the data, data plans. And for the telco, it makes sense as well, because actually, if you think about it, for the telco's end, right, instead of having to pay money every single year to maintain their payment APIs, you know, and their mobile wallets and all of that stuff and having to go and collect money from different distribution points, what they can do automatically is to work with us, we bundle the tokens, they do a markup that is a lot more commercially viable because through the traditional payment gateway, they're taking a 30% revenue share. 
in our in our model, they can do a fifty to hundred percent markup if they want to because it's bundled with the data plan, and they mm -hmm. get data revenue and they get you know the markup from actually making the markup from our services and our tokens. Uh, so so you're really 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 so it's really really interesting now to actually really dig into the because I've seen the white paper and sort of part yeah. no bolt closely but it's interesting to hear the actual drivers behind the, the business because you've ultimately you're trying to service a population that has a need but also then also trying to improve that how the existing infrastructure services that market which yeah. for me is all is one of the driving forces around some of the best of the crypto companies is or the blockchain companies is because they are actually trying to improve an interface between an existing market rather than trying to change everything about a market if you improve one or two things then yeah. you already validate its purpose yeah exactly i mean you can't boil you can't boil the ocean you know so you got to start somewhere and i i agree with you i mean we we look at this as a prevalent need because people want entertainment people want content and you know people i mean say migrant populations in different markets for example they just want to get some live tv and you know some content to spend away their time and if they can get it for free if they want to get it for free what they have to do is to do community tasks within the ecosystem which will earn them tokens in return like a community service right like subtitling content or give you know submitting user generated content so there, there are many ways for us to kind of um really dive into the tokenomics of this uh but that's just a start so just yeah. on that a second I've, I've got a couple of questions actually so on the community aspect so what you're it sounds like what you're saying so the blockchain is actually serving a few different purposes for you because what you sounds like by, by implementing a tokenized ecosystem what you're able to do is create incentives within your platform for users to improve the platform to curate content to subtitle content to to enhance it really in the way that a traditional Netflix or Amazon Prime would do themselves um, in-house. But actually you're you're pushing some of that development, I guess, onto the community, decentralizing it, and then you're rewarding them with tokens that they can use to watch the content themselves as well. Is that, yeah. did I hear that right? Yeah, that's correct. So actually this concept is not new. Um, there's a company called Viki, V-I-K-I, and they primarily, it was a free platform and they would make available, you know, really great Korean dramas, which, as you can imagine, is a huge pop culture phenomenon, even anywhere around the world. I mean, even in Kenya, you'd be surprised. People love Korean content, okay. you know. So, you know, and people are coming on board. And in exchange for watching these dramas for free, they would subtitle it. So the whole platform became available, you know, in like, like literally hundreds of languages. I'm not even joking about that. And Vicky ended up being sold to Rakuten for... Was it three hundred million dollars? But that was that was quite quite some wow. time ago. I mean, okay. Yeah. And, so okay. that is actually a huge business. <laughs> and, and and just on top of uh, all of that stuff, then it sounds like you so you're focusing on your the unbanked or the underbanked market, which, as you said quite rightly, is a massive sector. And it sounds like as well that you're you're again you're you're differentiating yourselves from being a Netflix or um, Amazon Prime or a traditional OTT over the top internet video service by pro by provisioning a lot of short form uh, clips of 
I say between five and 20 minutes because is that presumably because the national infrastructure in that country um, isn't as strong as it would be in other countries and also the data packages um, you know these the customer base um, also will have to pay for access to your content then in the second payment they'll have to make is to their data provider so they can't burn all of their data in the way that perhaps some people on unlimited bundles for a hundred dollars a month might might be fine to do in the UK or in, in the US is that that, no, that, that is quite correct. Actually, it's funny that you mentioned this, right? So the live TV channels on our platform are really popular because it's not as easy to watch live TV, you know, on the phone, right? So we've had um, screenings of, say, live cricket on our boat before. And as you can imagine, cricket goes on forever. <laughs> forever. So We know it well. We know it well. Being English, we know it well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, so... Um, so the, the the problems that we ran into as well, which which all influenced, I think, to the betterment of the service, was that we've had users say, hey, you know, I have one gigabyte of data. It costs me, you know, say $6 in my home country, and it's fine. But, you know, I want to watch the live TV feed, you know, of the cricket match that's going on right now, but I can't afford to watch the whole thing, right? If it's going to stream at that ridiculous, you know, sort of uh, data consumption rate. So we've actually optimized, you know, all the video content on our platform and even including our live TV channels to a couple of different bit rates, um, bit rate uh, streaming uh, speeds. And how we've been able to do that even more efficiently than, say, your YouTube or even your Netflix is because we're a mobile-only platform. So because we're a mobile-only platform, our data packets are automatically smaller because the screen size is really small. <laughs> the biggest screen you can go to is like a, you know, like, like let's just say an iPhone, uh, you know, an iPhone X, right? iPhone 10, um, you know. But then again, I need to think about the iPhone. Uh, is it the XR? Is it or is it XS? Now I lost count. I lost track. It, it got XS, released. I think. Yeah. Okay. Because there's yeah. been an excessive amount of them. <laughs> yeah. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> Don't don't give up your day job for marketing, Stig. Stay yeah. where you are. You're not even funny. Yeah. So uh, sorry, Crystal. I have to deal with him every week. No, it's okay. It's all right. It's all right. Don't worry about it. Um, but <laughs> that, that that's a good one. Um, but but yeah. So because of that, right? Uh, we we're able to kind of um compress the data consumption of you know videos on boat to twelve times less data consumed compared to Netflix. So what would be a three gigabyte? You know, if you stream HD content on Netflix, it's about three gigabyte of data consumed every hour. It's about three gigabytes, and if you consume the same HD content on both, it's actually twelve times less data. So it's about two hundred megabytes instead. Yeah. So, so this is really, really interesting. Uh, thinking of Bolt, then, how do you see the crypto space uh, starting to influence existing business companies' commercial models um, because of the introduction of blockchain and tokenized systems and how they can be more effective and more efficient in uh, than the existing business models? Um, I think I was just, it's funny, I was just chatting to, you know, uh, Edmund Dantes <laughs> about this. <laughs> Guilty. <laughs> yeah, um, about the whole idea of blockchain invisibility, right? Because, yeah. um, how do I even begin about this? R- right, right now, I mean, what we're seeing today in the space, right, is that there are a couple of things happening. I was just at Consensus Singapore today and I was speaking about it. Right now, at this juncture, we're at the 1990s of the internet boom, right? Mm-hmm. The, only, the only major use case of the internet at that point in time was email 
on, only gigs knew how to send email <laughs> and there were few protocols and people were investing into them, right? Mm-hmm. Your system the road. Uh, but guess what? But fast forward 20 years later, there's only one internet protocol. There are hundreds of thousands of use cases on the internet and they're all consumer-centric. Primarily, that's what has driven the adoption, right? And it's funny because what the whole blockchain and crypto space has done was to decentralize fundraising in a very efficient way that did not even rely on the banks for the transmitting of payment and reduce and reduce the fees by quite a fair bit. Um, but that is only one use case, fundraising. But people confuse the two because they think about the tokens that they get from that. And a lot of the times, these ICOs in the space, when you do a utility token issuance, the tokenomics might not be thought out correctly because they confuse as well, you know, the tokens that the investor might get might not actually bring about sufficient utility when the application is launched because that application is targeted towards the enterprise. So there are too many B2B use cases on the blockchain, but not enough B2C use cases. Okay. I know. I, I'm trying to. I'm really trying to summarize, like maybe in one hour lecture in two. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I know. I don't worry. I know. I keep on yeah. thinking. Uh, we haven't yeah. got a huge amount of time. What What are the like critical questions? I is I think te- um, trying to teach me how to be a better interviewer. Uh, so I, th- I think one of my uh, one of my observations on this is, and I think I think you're right. It's it's really early in this space, and um, you know we're going to look back at some of the interviews and um, and media coverage of this time just and just laugh in, in, you know, in 10, 15 years in the same way that we look back at interviews now uh, with, with some of the media when they're sat on a sofa in, in the morning breakfast talking about what is an internet and what is an email? I don't need an email. I've got the post. I'm fine. Don't worry. So I think, you know, I think we'll look back and kind of wonder um, what on earth everyone was doing when they weren't paying attention to the growth of cryptocurrencies, um, blockchain and, um, and all of the tokenized systems that come with it. Um, and I guess um, from, from our perspective, we, we were just kind of, myself and Stig were wondering, is it something that you think can be bolted on, um, pardon the sort of pun, but can you just bolt it onto um, existing businesses, um, a, a blockchain to introduce a new commercial model? Um, or is it something that businesses will have to rethink how they deliver services to customers and completely decentralize um, and, and you know, tear up the system and start from scratch? What are your thoughts? I think we need to start small on why the consumer would need a blockchain. I mean, for Bolt's use case, it's really about making it more efficient for anyone to participate, even without a bank account, you know, or even if you don't want to use your bank account, you just want it to be convenient for yourself, right? That's how we want it. We want you to participate. But I think other consumer applications that can come about, which businesses can start thinking about addressing, are things like messaging, for example. I think it's ridiculous how much dependency we have today on Facebook. And it's not, about, it's not even about social networking. I mean, I don't even use Facebook very much. But it's about, you know, how they control all the messaging platforms, even today, the most popular ones, you know, how much data they are actually sitting on top of. And all of that centralization is very dangerous, right? So I think I think messaging would probably be the most interesting use case that I think people can start getting their toes, you know, wet with you know, anticipation on yeah. using the blockchain for because other than that, I, I can't think of anything yet that would 
allow an ordinary consumer to think about why they need a blockchain. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the, I, the, yeah. I, I mean, the, the, only, the only real case that I think people have, other than making it a more efficient system, is where you actually really have a legitimate reason to try and decentralize a central authority. And if you're... And if you're trying to do that, you actually have to have a consumer base who wants that. I think there are far too many business models at the moment which are saying, we're going to create the decentralized Uber or we're going to create the decentralized Airbnb uh, and we're going to take it all back to a peer-to-peer basis, which is what the internet was all about uh, in the first place. Customers just don't want that at the moment. You don't actually have a market of people which will say, I'm really happy to have an unregulated decentralized Uber to manage my taxi rides because it just doesn't... It, with the 99% of the population, it just doesn't make sense at the moment. I think I think yeah. you're I think you're right there as well. I'm going to jump in on that one, Steve, because um, and Crystal, tell me if you uh, agree or disagree with this. But I think you're right to an extent. But it, it's when those centralised authorities start exerting control or influence or taking actions that you cannot right. change. In the same way that banks do, in the same way that governments do, Uber could ban you, right? For for some reason, yeah. you know, and maybe they ban you because you've trashed their taxi and you've run away and you haven't paid. I don't know. Or you're a driver uh, and they yeah. ban you because you didn't get a good rating. So you, yeah, you may get legitimate reasons for being banned, which is one side. But the the more subversive side of it is 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 where you end up in the government's um, area or you you end up in in central banking. And um, you don't have control over these things. And um, we've spoken previously about the likes of Greece and and Cyprus, where uh, I think it was in Cyprus when the government decided uh, that they needed more income uh, revenue from taxes. So they just just took money out of uh, their their populace's bank accounts overnight uh, and their money was just gone. Um, Not completely, but a certain percentage. So, you know, to stop things like that, that's where I think these decentralized systems and protocols will deliver value um i think you're right crystal you know messaging is probably a really good place to start with but it has to have a use case and something um behind it to to make sure that the central authority doesn't um abuse its power and control um and and for me i think to an extent blockchains are the check and balance to that and maybe they can coexist centralized and decentralized systems um it's not one or the other but um but i think the at it's least it's very early and it's coming, and at least there's choice. I, I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Completely agree. Completely agree. I feel like this could be a fireside chat between the three of us for How um, re- the rest of the day. Let's get some cigars. <laughs> Let's get... I, mean, I mean, it's it's only cigars it's only and whiskey. Five here, but I know. Pop, pop, pop open a bottle at 10 a.m. <laughs> and away we go. Um, so this feels Where? like a, a nice a nice time to uh, to ask you uh, on the grill section, uh, Crystal, as well. Um, so we uh, we being the Crypto and Grill podcast, we typically tend to ask our our guests what they like to grill, what they like if they've got a barbecue, uh, what they like yeah. to stick on there and uh, and do. And um, you know, it started out as being, what are you going to cook to to help you survive the bear market? It's been a pretty brutal few months. Um, you know, let's uh, let's make sure we stay alive. So uh, Stig here took us through. His his um, his favorite favorite uh, grilling recipe of uh, a rib of beef, um, and we've had some huge juicy burgers with cheese inside, outside, all around. I think, um, and uh, we had Bitlord last uh, last time, who was just doing everything. I mean, he put everything on the barbecue and just poured beer, beer on it. And he said, "You just want everything, beer, and then uh, we'll put another shrimp on the barbie." We even got him to say that. So, Crystal, what are you grilling to keep yourself sane throughout the bear market? Beer can chicken. Yeah, beer can chicken. You heard me right. 
Oh, ah, no. beer can chicken. I yeah. I know exactly what. I don't even about. know what that is. I thought you said. <laughs> I, I thought you said beer can chicken, but I was like, that, that's not. Maybe she hasn't understood me. Maybe my connection's going. Uh, what is that? <laughs> no, it is, it is beer can chicken. Yeah, Crystal, so, explain to us what you mean by beer can chicken. So so basically, um, well, say you drink, um, I don't know, half a can of beer, right? You leave the rest of the beer over there. You take chicken. You marinate it the usual way, and you stuff the beer can up the chicken, and you barbecue it. You grill it. <laughs> what? Okay. Okay. <laughs> so actually, it's actually really good because you know if you add you know the right marinade, you know the beer actually makes the inside of the chicken really juicy, and it's really delicious. Wow, I'm learning so much from this podcast. I've never podcast. would have done that. That, that. I mean, it sounds like a health risk. I'll be honest with you. Um, it, 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 it's so good. Drink half a beer, stuff yeah. the other half a beer up the arse of a chicken, <laughs> and then stick the chicken on a grill. It's, it's literally the most simple recipe, and okay. it sounds hilarious. It is amazing. It is well. amazing. And you can even cook in the oven if you want to. I mean, you can season the chicken with you know garlic powder, onion powder, oregano, black pepper you know um put some rosemary into the beer and you know let all of that fermented goodness just kind of steam the chicken inside i think that's amazing i'm i'm feeling like it's amazing actually how many people who come on this podcast uh, as our interviewees are quite serious chefs i feel like we need <laughs> we need a we need some form of decentralized food business it's probably one along those lines or a decentralized re- decentralized grill restaurant maybe That'll be that'll be hilarious! Oh my god, that'd be so cool. So I, I'm gonna probably ask quite a big question to try and sort of head us towards a close because we've covered a lot and it's been fantastic having you on. But one of Thank one you. of the things that obviously people are thinking about and talking about at the moment is what's happened with ICOs, how the ICO market has grown, how it's receded, mm. and how how that is a form of fundraising and securitization of businesses how that's all uh, how that's all going to progress where do you see the crypto the ico space going in the future great question just answered that at consensus singapore today and i got i've got i've gotten a lot of questions thereafter so (laughs) i think right now for icos i mean for the past you know six seven months right we've had we've seen a lot of utility token issuances and not many really successful uh, deployments unless you're a protocol, which is why people started, you know, going for the protocols instead of the distrib- distributed apps, right? Mm. I think, well, I think we, I think the security token is going to be a huge um, phenomenon that's going to happen. And I say this because I've been speaking to a couple of people in the space and Individual countries are probably going to have a security token uh, exchange, which would be financially regulated. Um, if you do a proper issuance with, you know, cross-border jurisdictions, you would be able to uh, basically not just list your token on one security token exchange, say in the in the states, but also cross-listed on, you know, other exchanges as well. Much like how a dual listing process takes place in a traditional IPO sense. Mm-hmm. So. And even, I mean, people normally in our space will kind of like flint when you say security token because, you know, this would limit the cryptocurrency exchanges that you can get liquidity on. But I think it's going to be an important development in the space um, simply because 
I think ordinary investors um, who have poured money into the space, uh, it's important, I think, to gain some level of protection um, or, you know, in a sense, some form of equity in a company, if need be, if things don't pan out uh, post-listing, post-liquidity. So, I don't know. I think this is how one thing is going to happen. The other thing as well is how Ethereum is going to really uh, survive this. You see, Ethereum as a uh, cryptocurrency in itself, right, as a platform in itself, it's only use case, really, is ICOs. And ICOs for utility tokens. <laughs> you know, if if Bitcoin is, you know, like the greenback, the reserve greenback, you know, of the world, right, then Ethereum is just a method of you know, fundraising for utility tokens. I mean, you can't you can't actually build anything on Ethereum um, that's sustainable because the transaction speed is too slow. And if you ask me, I, I even think that it'll be impossible to. This is my personal opinion, by the way. I think it'll be impossible for <laughs> Ethereum to, I mean, to really implement a very meaningful form of sharding. Not because they can't do it now, but because for them to rewrite every single smart contract that's ever been issued. <laughs> it's like it's like trying to redo the foundation of the house when yeah. the mansion has been built. Yeah, I think I spoke about this, you know, to previously. So I don't know. I I think I think to sum it up, I think security tokens are going to be huge next year. Mm-hmm. I think if one protocol would just focus on being a security token to the world, like how utility tokens are the focus for Ethereum, that'd be amazing. And I think that security token exchanges would uh, come up in different markets, you know, mm-hmm. that would allow for cross-listing across different countries and different jurisdictions. I think Ethereum would either be replaced by another mm-hmm. of the next inventions. That's what I think is going to happen. I don't know if a one-for-one swap would occur, but mm-hmm. I think at this point in time, it'd be easier for Vitalik to do that than to try and rebuild Ethereum. Yeah, I I, I I think I agree with that. I think the only way uh, people have likened it to sort of, you know, driving a, an old banged up car um, and then trying to re-engineer it into a Ferrari uh, or a Lambo, um, more appropriate for crypto, um, as you're driving at 100 <laughs> miles an hour down the highway. So, you know, can you really do that with Ethereum? Or as you say, do you need to completely build a new um, protocol, do a token swap, and then forcibly ask all of those decentralized applications and businesses to rebuild their smart contracts on that new platform so that it would work? And that's going to take a lot of work and effort. Um, I think, and I th- well, I think that if I look at this as well from everything you said, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of the Zillica um, platform, Zillica Protocol, and I think that's probably the one that's going to dominate 2019 with, with smart contract language, with the high throughput, you know, you've got none of the congestion and challenges that Ethereum mm-hmm. suffers from today um, in a very safe, secure uh, smart contract platform It's in, that's been architected for scalability and growth, decentralization um, and security. So... You know, I think I think Zillica really is going to um, challenge Ethereum for the number one spot in smart contract space this year. That's my view. But but I'm gonna stick I'm gonna stick up for the old boys here. Uh, where would we be without what the guys at the Ethereum Alliance have done? Because oh, they not under also, yeah. I, I wouldn't challenge. I wouldn't challenge how they've what they've done. They've done amazing <laughs> for the game for, for the game for the industry. It's uh, it's a game changer completely. But you know, I think well, and the world and the world. Yeah. 
Uh, it has. I mean, I'm a I'm a fan of Ethereum. I I think you know without Ethereum, you know we wouldn't even be having this chat because it has enabled many applications. And I mean, Zilliqa, we raised in Ether <laughs> to yeah. begin with. Right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, so you know, I think I think that that's what it is, right? If you want to build real world applications on on top of a blockchain platform, Ethereum isn't the answer for sure. Yeah. So Vitalik probably has to do something around that. But it's an issuance. You know, to to deploy for fundraising as a smart contract, absolutely. I think that that's a perfect use case for Ethereum. That yeah. that is a that is okay. Yeah. But anything else, I think it's going to be really, 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 really tough. I can't agree with you more. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Uh, I'm going to have to cut that bit because you called me by my fake name, uh, not my, not my real name of Edmund Dantes. But um, <laughs> that's the second time you've done that, and I shall be editing this heavily. <laughs> um, so um, amazing. On that note, uh, what? Called out. Called yeah. out. <laughs> on that note, Crystal. What? Yes. What do we have in store um, from, for you, or what's, what do you have, sorry, in store uh, for the next three months between all the yeah. projects for, from Bolt, Zilliqa, and Switchio? Just, just uh, as we finish, what's um, what's going to take you through to Christmas? For me, uh, well, we're actually beginning some evaluations on how we're going to build on Zilliqa's testnet uh, for Bolt because as soon as we are able to build something on the testnet, migrating it to the mainnet is going to be quite easy. Um, so we're, we're going to be really focusing on that. Um, I think for us, we're just going to be focusing on delivering our roadmap and growing the team sustainably and making sure that we hit our targets for the year. And I'll be empowering the team to do so. I think on the Zilliqa side, we'll be looking out, of course, at strategic partnerships that you know we'll be able to uh, bring to the table, which would allow for you know, the block Mozilla's capabilities to be really um, showcased, you know, appropriately. I think that's one one part of it as well. And I don't think it should just be crypto focused use cases. I think it should be a broader mix of enterprise you know, use cases, even consumer use cases. So I think look, it will all be very exciting. Switcho, I think it'll be really great once Callisto's, the Callisto update is out. Um, I mean, we are calling it after Jupiter's moons. <laughs> that's why it's called Callisto. So, um, so yeah, as soon as you know, um, Switcho integrates the Ethereum protocol, it's going to become the first multi-blockchain decentralized exchange, and I can't wait for that. I mean, even Binance hasn't done that, so you can imagine the potential once you know the marketing really ramps up. Amazing! Sounds like you've yeah. got your hands full. Well, make sure you take some time <laughs> to rest, but that's uh, that's going to be a busy few months for you. So. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Um, this has been uh, it's been really good fun. I've learned a lot as well. How about it's been you, Stig? Awesome having you. Oh, I, I, yeah, learned, I, I always learn from you guys. Thank you so much. <laughs> Crystal, thank you very much. And I'd also very like good. to thank our sponsors for the show um, who have uh, supported us throughout and uh, are really helping us uh, just pay the bills. Oh, hang on. No, sorry. No, we don't have a sponsor. So if you are interested in sponsoring Crypto and Grill, guys, get in touch. We accept all kinds of Ethereum, Bitcoin, or even scam currencies like US dollar or great british pound. strong hand strong hand i love a strong hand <laughs> so reach out um but uh yeah joking aside that's it from us um thank you so much to crystal and um we will speak to you all soon and don't forget if you're listening to this you are the resistance